0: Um, today, uh, you might have noticed we, we cut our worship service down by a song. A lot of times we do like three songs or so. And, uh, and because uh, I actually told the band, I, uh, told Jared and the band that I wanted them to cut a song because I have so much I want to talk about today. We are uh, getting into a series today. We're starting a series called Culture Crisis. Everybody say Culture Crisis. So we're going to talk about uh, the most controversial subjects that there are in the world today. Churches are vastly, and majority of churches, are silent on these issues, and uh, I don't think that we should be silent on these issues. So what I'm going to say right now is that if you have young kids in this service, I would recommend you take them out to Children's Church right now because we are going to talk about some heavy-hitting subjects. We're going to talk about things that maybe young ears shouldn't hear. I'm giving you this, this disclaimer so we're not in the middle of this message, and uh, all of a sudden you go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> earmuffs, right? So I don't want you to have to do that. All right. Um, over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about subjects uh, like homosexuality, abortion, divorce. We're going to talk about suicide. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about the big ones that no pastor wants to talk about, but I'm gonna. And so uh, so anyway, uh, I just want I think for the next uh, five weeks counting this week, I think it would be wise for you not to have young children. Now you're the parent or the grandparent if you're taking care of, of the grandkids. Um, it's your call. Okay, I'm gonna say this disclaimer at the beginning of every one of these messages, but it's your call. Um, but, I, but I'm trying to give you fair warning here so that you don't end up being upset with me because I said something when I told you ahead of time. I'm gonna say it, okay? So just be prepared for that. So, uh, so anyway, you guys, do you remember um, the story in the Bible about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know that? It's not a story, it's history, okay? Um, if you don't know the story, let me let me give you uh, the snapshot ver- version of the story. So, um, so there's these two cities that are right next to each other called Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, they're very Im- immoral. In in fact, they've gone so far in- towards immorality against basically God's teachings that. Uh, that God decides that the cities aren 't even worth saving, that he 's just going to destroy the cities and everybody that lives in it because, uh, because it 's so immoral he doesn 't seem to, to, to feel as though that it 's a redeemable place okay and that 's a big statement, considering God is the redeemer, right? And so, uh, so if you remember the story, or if you don't know the story, so God and uh, he comes to Abraham, who lives outside the city, and he can kind of see in the distance, he can see the cities. And he says, I'm going to destroy these cities. And Abraham, he argues with God. Has anybody ever argued with God before? (laughs) Right? That's all right. You can raise your hand. I have like, come on, God. And, uh, but anyway, he says to God, he says, don't destroy those cities. He said, if there's even 50 righteous people out of all the hundreds of thousands of, or maybe millions of people that live in these cities, if there's even 50 people, don't just save the cities. They're redeemable. And God says, okay, well, if there's 50 in there, then I'll save them. And God, you know, all knowing, goes, mm, "Nope, there's not 50 in there. And so Abraham uh, says, well, how about 40? And he goes through this process and he says, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? He gets the 10. And God says, if there were 10 people, in all of Sodom and Gomorrah, I would save the cities. But there's not 10 people in the cities. And so uh, if you remember, A- Abraham's uh, family member, Lot, lived in one of those cities. And, and Lot and his daughters and his wife, they fled the cities. Um, and God destroyed those cities. And if you remember in the story, Lot's wife, she turned back and she, she disobeyed the, t- the, the instruction from God. She turned back and looked at the cities and she turned into what? A pillar of of salt. She was destroyed as well. Now, my wife and I, when we were in Israel last February, we were right in the place where Sodom and Gomorrah are. And that whole region, that whole area where those cities used to be is now mountains of salt. Okay, not like salt, like, you know, you put on your, your food, but like on... You know, uh, process. Just they look like mountains, but they're all salt. And so, all of the people who live in Israel, they believe that God didn't just destroy the cities. That just like Lot's wife, they turned. He turned the cities through the destruction into salt. Nothing lives there. Nothing will ever live there for all of eternity. For as long as the earth is here, there, those areas will be barren forever because of the salt content there. Okay, so. Uh, I'm not saying that our society has gone as far as Sodom and Gomorrah and that God wants to destroy all of us. What I'm trying to say is that in a similar way, our society has been walking away from morality. And and honestly, Christianity and Christians have been walking right with them. Okay, And so, so I think we need to talk about these kind of things. In in the world we live in today, we have replaced godly morals or good morals, I'll just call them good morals, with the everything goes morality. Like whatever you feel like, that's, that's your morality and that's okay. But how many people know that we've had feelings that aren't good, right? So we can't just base our morality and the way we live and the decisions we make just on what a feeling is right now. Instead, the way that it's, it's supposed to be and the way that, that God intends it is that our morality, our values, the things that we live for would come from him. But we're not doing that. So we're living in a culture crisis. Right? We're living in a culture crisis. So what I want to do is I want to take the next... Mm, four to five weeks to look at what the Bible says about some of these serious subjects. And, uh, and so this is so fun for me. Um, But, uh, but I want to just say before we we get into this, I have a few few ground rules. Okay. So these are the rules that I want to put out there before and I'm going to say these every week before I get into the subject that I'm going to talk about rule number one, everybody say number one. I am not the person you should be upset with if you disagree with what I say. I am not that person. Don't be mad with me. Don't kill the messenger, you've heard it said, right? Okay, I want to say this, and I want to be clear with you. I will not compromise the word of God to make you feel good. Amen. Okay. I won't. I won't do that. But I also will use scripture to back up any statements that I make. Okay? So this is the thing. Um, if you're upset, well, hold on, I'll get to there. And, and this is the last thing I'll say of, that for, of rule number one is I will not force you to agree with anything that I say up here, okay? That's between you and God. I, my, what God has called me to do is just show you what the word says about these things. And we do that every week. You know, we we just, I just get up here and I show you, I, I try to explain to you what the word of God says about some situation in your life or, or in the world today. And it's up to you and God to decide what you're gonna do with it, okay? So rule number two, everybody say number two. If you are upset, take a moment to evaluate whether, uh, whether it's because you disagree with what I'm saying or because maybe the Lord is convicting your heart about an area you need to change. Okay? So if you disagree with me, um, that's okay. But, uh, but maybe the Lord's speaking to you about the, the way that you're living and your morality today. Number three. Everybody say number three. I said this already. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to talk about heavy-hitting subjects here. And, and, and I think we need to be transparent, and we need, to, uh, we need to talk plainly and clearly. So if you have kids in here, again, I forewarning, I just want you to know, I, I don't think today's really too big, a, too big of a thing, uh, but there will be ones that we talk about where you might not want your kids in here. I think today could be a big thing for you, so I'm glad you took them out if you did. Okay, before we get into this, I think we need to pray. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for each and every person in this place. God, you have a great plan for their lives. Lord, I pray that as we get into these these really heavy subjects, God, that you give us all ears that hear and hearts that understand and minds that desire to live for you and to live like you. That it's not about us, God. That it's not about our feelings or what our personal everything-goes morality uh, lifestyle may be right now, but it's about what you say. God, I pray that the words that I use aren't mine, that that they're the words you need me to say. And God, I just pray that today, people won't feel condemned by what we talk about, but but maybe they'll feel convicted, or they'll feel confirmed in what they believe already. And so God, we just ask that you are in and amongst everything I talk about in this whole time with all of us today, in Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to jump right into it, because because uh, like I said, I've got a lot to talk about. Um, today, I, I want to start right out talking about something that we need to talk about, and it's it's uh, it has to do with how we feel about human life. Okay? So today I want to talk about abortion. That's a smile if you're listening. Anyway, uh, why do we need to talk about these things in church? Why do we need to talk about abortion in church? Because in our culture today with social media, with, with all the media that we see, with all of the media outlets, you are getting inundated with information from the world, but most churches aren't giving you any godly information about it. Okay, So we need to talk about these things on occasion. We need to talk about what the Bible actually says about abortion, what, what the facts are about abortion. We need to be honest as Christians and as believers about the content, okay, about the stuff that's really going on today. And so, uh, so anyway, we need to talk about it at church. And, uh, and so I want to take some time to look at the actual facts on abortion in the United States. And I want to be able to, uh, to look at both the, the actual, like, statistical facts here, the godly facts here, and then also, what do we do with that as Christians in today's society, and how do we properly live knowing this information? Okay, everybody say okay if you're with me. All right, so I want to start with some just statistical things in the world today. Something that a lot of Christians never hear, uh, is that since the mid-1990s, abortion has taken a huge plunge in numbers in the United States. We don't hear that very often because the pro-life uh, uh, organizations, they, they want to continue to say, well, they, understandably, they want to say that it's wrong and it needs to stop. And, but, and, and they still want to focus on the fact that it's a big number. But I want to I give you the actual stats From the actual documentation in the United States on on how many abortions and and what we're talking about here, okay? So in 1996, um, about 1,400,000 abortions were were performed in that year, okay? Just in that year, in 1996. So 1.4 million, okay? As of 2017, or or on the year of 2017, about 850,000 were performed. So in just a 20 year span, the rate of abortion has dropped by about half in the United States. Now, there's reasons for that that I don't have time to go into. But, but this is something that's rarely mentioned in the pro-life movement because 850,000 is still a lot, right? It's still a lot. But these things we got to look at that at partially and look at it and say, oh, wait a second. So in twenty years we're half of where we were. These things move slowly, right? And and that is a lot of really great progress with a lot of people really working hard to 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 push and, and work on the pro life agenda. So um, so we need to know as a, as a Christian group as as a body of believers that the rates are slowly but steadily declining in the United States today. So. Okay, Um, the next thing that I want to talk about is that um, abortion... When you're talking about the pro uh, pro pro-choice movement, one of their biggest arguments and and strongest arguments is that we need to have abortion because of situations like rape or incest, pregnancies that result as as from a case of rape or incest. And so we also need to know the statistics on this. Now, in a Gallup poll, which is like an official uh, poll, found that in the United States, the cases of abortion that had to do specifically with cases of rape or incest were 0.5% of all the abortions that happened in the United States on average per year, 0.5. Let me put that in a different uh, matter of wording. That means that 99.5% of abortions in the United States each year have nothing to do with rape or incest. 99.5%. Not that they're not legitimate reasons and not that there's not people who are in those cases. There are, but it is a very, very small percentage of people that, that are actually searching out or looking for an abortion because of those situations. So something I found interesting, because I had not spent a ton of time really digging into the facts and the information on this, but in the state of Florida, I found out that it, by law, if you get a legal abortion, you by law have to fill out the paperwork that lists why you decided you wanted to have one. So they have literal person-for-person uh, information on every abortion that happened. And in the year 2018, in the state of Florida, there were 70,080 abortions that happened legally. Okay, So when they looked at the data that came in from that, only 0.15% of those had to do with rape or incest. Okay, So again, to say it the other way, 99.85% of abortions that happened had nothing to do with rape or incest. In fact, in Florida, less than 5% of all the abortions that happened had anything to do with the mother's health or the child's health or a child's disability or rape or incest. Okay, So what I'm trying to get at here is that 95% of the, uh, of the abortions that happened in the state of Florida in 2018 that that 95% of those had nothing to do with medical issues which is one of the biggest pushing points for the pro-choice agenda okay now again i'm not here to try to say pro-choice you pro-choice people are bad or you pro-life people are bad we both got our problems okay so so anyway these are just the facts these are just the situations that that we're dealing with in the united states today So, um, as most of us do, I was on Facebook and I saw a post on Facebook. And you can never believe the facts on Facebook because those aren't facts, right? So I saw one on Facebook that said something about you know if you kill an eagle's egg, you get in trouble doing this. If you destroy a turtle egg or whatever, you get in trouble. You you get this big of this much trouble. And then it had this thing about how many abortions were happening in the United States each year. And so I thought, you know what, just just for Curiosity's sake, I'm going to fact find this thing. And I'm going to see if that because probably most of us have seen that if we're on social media, it's been going around. And so I thought I'm going to really find out what is the truth about that whole that whole thing. So these are the facts. Okay. Uh, According to federal law, is that if you destroy a bald eagle egg in the United States, the fine is $5,000 minimum, and up to a year in jail. Okay. And I thought a bald eagle was probably the most protected thing in the United States. Apparently not. Because if you destroy sea turtle eggs, that can cost you up to $100,000 in a year in jail. And for perspective, in the U.S. today, about a quarter of all pregnancies end in abortion. Okay, so these are just the facts. Um, don't kill the messenger. I'm just trying to give you perspective and understanding from both sides. Now, I want to look at what the Bible actually says about abortion. Um, So to be really clear right here at the beginning, the word abortion is not actually found in the Bible. right? And this is, if you look up, what does the Bible say about abortion? The very first thing on Google, the very first article you're going to find is a pro-choice article that says it's not found in there, so it doesn't matter. It's the very first one you're going to find. And you would think when you say, what does the Bible say about it, you would go to something that would be pro-Bible, but you're not. You're, the very first thing on, on, on Google is going to be one that says it's not, and then it, it, then it gives all its reasons why. But this is the thing. Um, just because that word itself is not found in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible says nothing about it, right? And if you think, well, it's got to say the word for me to live, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, for me to change my life, I've got to actually read it. Uh, we all, let me give you an example the word pornography is not found in the Bible, okay? But we know that the Bible talks about lust and and infidelity, and it talks about all these these different sexual sins and things like that, and how many people know that pornography plays a major part in all of those things? So you and I can surmise that pornography is not a good thing for us, and that God's stance on pornography would probably be a, a two thumbs down, right, okay? So in the same way, just because the word abortion isn't found in the Bible doesn't mean that, it, that the Bible set, is silent on the issue. Let me give you the opposite kind of example. The word Trinity is not in, found in the Bible. Sorry, Trinity, across the highway. <laughs> it's not found in the Bible, and people want to say all the time, well, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. No, but the Bible does talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? The Tr- Trinity is... I just spit, sorry. The, the word Trinity... <laughs> is just a word that we, that the believers have come up with to quickly explain God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not something to hang, get hung up on and say, oh, I can't be a Christian because they made up a word. Like, oh my gosh, right? Like, people make up words every day, right? So, so just because we're, we're using a term to describe things that God talks about or God uh, likes or dislikes, doesn't that, that, that's beside the point. The Bible does talk about life. It talks about birth. It talks, about, it talks about what God feels about us taking lives. And so I think we got to look at what the Bible actually says about it. So that's what we're going to do here for the next few minutes. So there's two things I think we really need to look at when it comes to what the Word says about this issue. The first one is this. When does life begin? I mean, this is a huge debate. When does life actually begin? So I want to read to you from Psalm 139. Start in verse 13. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being... You knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, This is no surprise. We all know that when a woman gets pregnant, that there is something that is growing and being created inside her womb. This This is not news to anybody. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now stop right there. Now these are all good scriptures. This is all good and it all talks about a, a baby being created inside a mother's womb and about how God sees that baby but it still doesn't talk about whether or not that baby or that 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 thing is a person yet okay so then we get to verse 16 verse 16 says your your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days everybody say all the days all the days ordained for me were written in your book, listen, before one of them came to be. So from this scripture, we can see that God has a purpose for our life before our days even came to be. So I don't know about you, but from my point of view, it looks like God, God has a purpose and that this person is a person before they were ever even starting to grow in their mother's womb. We read that God ordains Jeremiah the prophet before he's even created. You know the scripture, verse, uh, Jeremiah 1:5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Okay, so he's, he's saying, he, he's making a real clear statement here that there's a purpose built into that thing that's growing inside of that, that woman from the beginning, okay, even before the beginning. So there's, um, there's, a, there's a scripture, you know the story of Jesus. Mary uh, gets pregnant with Jesus and then she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Mary was only about two weeks pregnant at that point. So uh, at two weeks pregnant, ladies, if you've been pregnant before, nothing's happened, okay? <laughs> like, like you, you're like, you, you, you know, there's no, there's no like... Like noticing that you're pregnant, the baby bump is not a thing at that point, right? And so she goes to visit Elizabeth, and um, and when the whole interaction happens, it says that Mary felt the baby leap in her womb. Wait a second, like you're talking about, you know, this in there, but but it's why is that? and, and John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, like why is that? It's be it's because God is making a statement that that there's something alive in there, that there's life in there, okay. Now, I could list a whole bunch of references of scriptures where the Bible refers to unborn children as men, women, and babies. The Bible references them. And, and that it references pregnant women as mothers even before their babies are born. So really, the Bible states that the destiny for each life begins even before birth. Okay, Really, even before the conception of that birth. Okay? So I'm not here to argue with you about it. This is not an argument. This is just what the Bible says about it you get to deal with God on that. Okay. So, number two, the second thing that we need to look at is, is, what does the Bible say about taking an innocent life? What does it say in the Ten Commandments? Thou shall not kill, right? Thou shall not murder. Uh, the taking of an innocent life is something that's addressed not only in the Ten Commandments, but often by Jesus, by Peter, and by Paul, okay? And, and so, Side note real quick, because we don't have a service after this, uh, uh, is that a lot of people get hung up on what if I, you know, what if I killed somebody in war, what if I killed somebody in, the, you know, in a situation of self-defense, things like that. The Bible really clearly states innocent blood, okay, innocent lives. And in war, it's not an innocent situation. And in a case of self-defense, I don't believe that it's an innocent situation. But regardless of all of that, God is the Redeemer. And he'll redeem you no matter what your situation is. Okay, so uh, And we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. But why is it wrong to kill somebody? What does God say about human life and, and why it's wrong? Genesis 9, 5 through 6 uh, says this. It says, verse 5, it says, And for your lifeblood I will surely demand account- an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human, or for the life of another human being. Okay, so what what God's saying, and what the scriptures that lead up to this are kind of talking about blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice, which we read about in the Old Testament. That pretty much every society did back in in those days. Um, so this is not weird for back then. To us, we're like, what? You know, but but back then they are fine with it. It's normal, and uh, and so God God's basically saying I take account for every life, every blood, bit of blood that is shed, and 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 he's talking about you know sacrificing you know this thing for sin or for that or whatever. So, but then he gets to this the human topic, okay, and he and he starts talking about accounting for the life of a human being and how it's different, okay. Then he says in verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. And then he says, For in the image of God has God made mankind. You've heard that before, right? We are made in God's image. So what he's saying here, and what, what, when you really study that out, is that God values human life in a different way than animal life and other things. Sorry, if you're a PETA person, we're not going to talk about that, okay? But what the Bible says is that God values human life in a different way. Okay, That it matters because we are made in the image of God. We hold this high value to God. Taking an innocent life is wrong. Murder is wrong because God values each life. Okay, So when you really look at this, the situation of the topic of abortion you're talking about really taking an innocent life that even though it doesn't look like a human initially or right away or in the first week or two weeks or three weeks that that thing has purpose that started before it was even formed okay and so so i'm just again i'm just trying to give you the facts so so i want to change gears now so the first part of what i said is to explain what's happening in the world and what the bible states but But now we have to change gears and start to look at what does this mean for you and me? And I hope are you guys following me today? Okay, again, you know that that I'm coming from a place of of wanting to love every person and caring for every person. And guys, we are a family. And it doesn't matter what thing you've done in your life, whether it's abortion or murder or lying or or whatever it is, you know, or, or looking at pornography or whatever, whatever it is. We love you, and God loves you, and we're a family, and we lift each other up, and we want to help you, and we want to be close, and we don't want to see people fall apart. We want to see people build it up with God, right? So so I want to be so clear that this is not to condemn anybody who's had an abortion, and I know that in this room, there are many. I know that there are many. And so I don't ever want, want you to feel that way. The point of this is to educate everyone on the biblical point of view when it comes to this cultural issue. You know, this is the thing. Every one of you has a stance on this topic, but a select few of you have ever had to face it. Let me say that again. Everybody in the world has an opinion on abortion, but only a select few have really had to face whether or not they're going to do it. And and we we have to think about the way that we are interacting with people as believers. And believers, for the most part, not everybody, are, are a pro-life community. But we've done a real bad job of being pro-life to people who've been through these things. We have hurt more people in the name of love than we have helped. I remember um, when I went to Grand Valley. I, was, I graduated from Grand Valley um, quite a few years ago now. I won't say how many, because some of you go, oh, you're old, and some of you go, wow, you're young. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I remember walking through the campus one day, and the ma- one of the main uh, kind of intersections of the campus, there was a pro-life group set up there, and they were shouting, and everybody was walking by, and there's these big billboard signs that they were holding up that had pictures of dismembered babies, aborted babies on it, and I walked through that that square and heard those people shouting the things that they were shouting in the name of Jesus. And that image has been burned into my mind. And every time I hear somebody talking, a Christian talking about abortion, guess what image comes back to my mind? And I'm a pastor. We have done a poor job of loving people through their situation. We have done a poor job of bringing life to people instead of bringing death to their situation. You remember how God, how Jesus dealt with people who were dealing with sin or bad choices? He didn't didn't put them down. Instead, he did what to them? He loved them. He loved them. He cared about them. He did everything in his power to redeem them, to forgive them, to give them grace and mercy. You remember the woman at the well? Everybody knows the woman at the well story, or most everybody does. Where Jesus comes up to the well because he's thirsty. He's in a place that he didn't want to be, or that he shouldn't be, because he's in part of Samaria where Jews weren't even allowed to be. And they, and so he gets up to the well, and there's a Samaritan woman there. And he says, he says, uh, "Will you get me some water?" And she said, you know, and she she's probably thinking, who is this guy? And and so he starts to talk to her about about her life. He says, "Where's your husband?" And she says, "Oh, uh, you know." Makes some comment about it. He goes, no, no, no. I know the truth. You don't have one husband. You've had five husbands. And, and I, I know that, that your life's been a mess. And, and I know that you're looking for something. And then remember, he says, I want to give you something that will give you life. I want something that will quench you. I want to give you the water of life. The, you know, I want to give you this thing that's going to bring you life forever, right? He says, let's bring life to the situation, not death to the situation. We need to be life givers. We need to be people who are bringing life to people's situations instead of bringing death to situations. And, and so anyway, if you're using your words when it comes to abortion, or any topic for that matter, any topic that, that doesn't line up with the Word of God, you're, you're, you're actually condemning people. And I thought the Bible said that in Christ there is no more what? Condemnation, right? There's conviction where God says to your heart, man, you need to change. And then there's love, right? So I want to just say again, if you're here today and you've had an abortion, I want you to know that you're no different than any one of us. Because we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all done things. And I don't even know how you feel about it today. And whether you feel okay about it or whether you've been really struggling with it Yeah, the person next to you is really struggling with something else. Probably with some of the things that I've already talked about and mentioned in passing during this message. And if you're really feeling like like I'm targeting you today, don't worry, I'll target somebody else next week. It'll be great. (laughs) That's what this is all about, right? We're going to talk about the hard-hitting subjects, then we're going to talk about them. But, But this is the thing, for those who are thinking about having an abortion, there's probably somebody in this room right now who's pregnant and is thinking about it. Or if you've been like, planning on using abortion as a form of birth control, this is why we need to talk about it. You know, those little lives, they matter. And I know, I know God says that, that he already has a purpose for their life. And I know your circumstances might not be great and you're looking at well, what am I going to do if I have this baby and I know you're probably going to be worried about what people are going to think. But I want you to know that in this place, and I'm declaring it today, so you better all follow up. We are a family. And we're here for you. We will help you. We will support you. We will be there for you. We will love you. And we will lift you up no matter what situation you're in, no matter what's going on. We want to be here for you, and we love you. So you don't need to, you don't need to, you don't need to be afraid to walk into this place, you know. I want to wrap up with something that I'm probably going to get emotional over, but uh, we had an individual who wrote out her testimony and she wanted me to read it. And so I want to read to you a testimony of somebody who's part of our church. And I'm going to read it word for word and then, uh, and then I'll wrap it up today. So so if you just listen, I just want to read it to you and, uh, and then we'll talk. At the age of 16, I found myself in a place that no teenager wants to find themselves. I'd caved under pressure. I became sexually active and consequently pregnant not long after that. I was terrified. I couldn't tell my parents, so I didn't. And it took a couple of months before my mom put two and two together and she questioned me and figured it out. Were they angry? Disappointed? Embarrassed? Yes, and rightfully so. I was not allowed to see the father of my unborn child, and they didn't allow me to talk to him on the phone and tell him I was pregnant, to which, uh, or or they did, they did allow me, sorry, to to talk to him on the phone one time and tell him I was pregnant, to which I received dead silence. Not, I'm sorry, what do you want to do? Nothing. I I was devastated, terrified. I felt so dirty and lost. I can remember crying myself to sleep, wondering, what am I going to do? Well, I didn't have to wonder long, my parents decided for me if I wanted to continue living in their house, I would have an abortion. Otherwise, I'd have to move out. The night before the scheduled procedure, I was allowed another phone call to the father of my child, to which I was told by him to have the abortion. Those were the last words I wanted to hear. I'm not saying at 16 I was ready to raise a child, but I definitely didn't want to end that child's life either. I felt sick, stuck. felt left without a choice. The next day, my mom drove me to a clinic, and I aborted that child. At first, as they said I would, I felt relief. That didn't last long. Soon I was not sleeping. I was a mess. I had dreams of that child accusing me of taking its life. I felt even dirtier and lowlier than before. And to make matters worse, my parents decided I could tell no one how I wish now I had a relationship with God to help me through. But God was not a part of my life at that time. So fast forward 13 years. I had three beautiful children. I'd gone through a divorce and I was engaged again. And, just, and I was just really beginning a relationship with God. My fiance and I had purchased property outside Morley and he was starting to think about looking for a job in western Michigan. However, a house had not yet been thought about, nor a wedding date set when a very unplanned pregnancy happened. My fiance was still living in Southern Michigan and I was living with my parents who helped look after my three other kids when I was at work and when they weren't in school, which meant I had to tell my fiance the news over the phone. His reply after a few moments of silence was, have an abortion. Talk about deja vu. However, I was no longer that 16 year old girl I had a relationship with an awesome heavenly father who already told me not to be afraid. Married or not, I could do this. He also told me, I have plans for the child you're carrying, for you and for all your children. So I promptly told my fiance, no, you can either marry me or our engagement will be off and I will raise this child with my other three on my own. I'm so thankful he decided to stick around and see what a blessing being a father is. (laughs) I know, he, I know he is too. I also know that he regrets and is embarrassed that he ever said, have an abortion. All of our children have been blessed with gifts and talents. It is awesome to see them using them. And I'll be honest, there was a time I doubted if that child would walk, with the, walk the path that God had planned for him to travel on. What parent hasn't watched their child travel down paths they would have not chosen for themselves? I realize now that even though he strayed off the path and traveled down roads he wasn't intended to travel on, that God was able to use those side trips through his testimony to help others. Watching how God is using me or using him has given me the courage to tell my story. It took a long time before I could accept that God has forgiven me for poor past choices, especially those made at the age of 16. It has taken me even longer to forgive myself. I am learning to accept I can't change the past. I can only take the lessons I've learned from those mistakes and move forward. If God can forgive and love me, then I need to do the same. Quite a testimony, huh? In case you were wondering who this person is, they gave me permission to share. Her name is Deb, and her husband's name is Phil. And the child that they were talking about that they didn't abort is Jared, who led you in worship today here at the church. People, this isn't a really hard one, even though it's been a polarizing subject and people have been so, so fighting on this thing. This isn't a hard one. No matter what choices you've made in life, God loves you. He will forgive you. Ladies, if you're here today and you've made that decision, God loves you and he's forgiven you and you need to forgive yourself. You need to allow yourself to move into that forgiveness because God wants to use you to do great things. And if this is something that's been holding you back from that, you need to forgive yourself and allow God to to do a redeeming work in your heart. And for that matter, anybody dealing with any sin that's been holding you back, God has forgiven you. And you need to forgive yourself and love yourself in spite of the things that you've done. Because God has. So you should. No matter what choices you've made in life, God loves you. But the, the real situation here is that we have lives to live from this day on. We get to make decisions on how we're going to live and the choices we're going to make and the impact we're going to make from this day on. So you have a choice today. You have a choice of how you're going to live. Are you going to be a person that brings life into other people's situations no matter what their situation is? Or are you going to be a person that brings death into those situations or condemnation? It's up to you. I know what Jesus did, and I know how I want to live. But this isn't up to me. This is up to you, between you and God today in this place. I wrote this down. This is the last thing that I'll say, and then we'll pray, uh, is is it's not all about being pro-life. It's about being pro-love, right? It's about being pro-love. Because somebody else is living a completely different life than you. They're in a completely different situation. Really what matters is that you choose to be love and to be life for every person that you come in contact with. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for every person in this place. Lord, I thank you that as we talk about tough subjects like this today, God, that you're in the midst, that you're in this room, that you're in control. God, that that it's not about what I say or my opinion or anybody's opinion here, but God, it's it's about what you say. And so God, for some people in this place today who are struggling with the content and what we talked about, God, I pray that in this moment that they're doing what I talked about, they're evaluating, are they upset? Or, or are, they, are they frustrated with the content? Or what was said? Or are they feeling convicted in their heart today? That maybe even though they've had a certain frame of mind or a certain way of thinking for years, God, that, that you're speaking to their heart about making a change. God, we want to live for you. We want you to be at the forefront of our lives. God, I pray for the ladies that, that have been through these situations already, that have already been through having an abortion. God, I pray that you mend their hearts, that you help them to heal, that you help them to accept your forgiveness and to forgive themselves, to accept your love and to love themselves, and to, to understand that, that they are redeemed and they don't have to live in condemnation anymore. And so, God, I just pray that over every person here that we will accept your forgiveness and your love in our lives and we will choose to do the same for ourselves. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here today and, and you feel lost, you feel like you don't have purpose, you feel like you don't have direction, But you want to have direction. You want to have life change. I want to tell you that God has a plan for your life and that he can transform your life. All you have to do is today choose to make Jesus Lord of your life and choose to begin walking in the direction that God is leading through his word and through his leadership in your life. You can have a different life. Your life can be different. You can make a difference. You can feel different on the inside. And, and you can know that you're going to heaven, but you can know that your life is mattering here today. So if that's you and you're thinking about that, I know you're probably battling with this thought that, yeah, yeah but I've made so many mistakes. I have so many things going wrong or issues in my life. And those things are not going to keep you from God. God sees those things and he's attracted to you and he wants to save you from those situations. So if you're here today and you know you want to live this life God has for you, then you need to make Jesus Lord. And so if there's anybody here who wants to make Jesus Lord of their life right now with everybody's eyes closed, just lift your hand up. If there's anybody that knows they want to make that decision today, awesome. All right, I see, I see those hands. All right, now what I'm going to ask you to do with everybody's eyes closed is, uh, is just look up here at me. Can you look up here at me if you raised your hands? Okay, I see you. And I want you to know that I see you. And after service, I would love to talk to you about this decision that you're making today. But what the Bible says is that all you have to do is, uh, is you believe in your heart that Jesus really is the Savior, that he defeated the grave for you that he lives so you could live. But everything you do in your life from this point on needs to have God leading it. And God needs to be being seen in your actions and the things that you do. So we're gonna pray together and, uh, and we're gonna uh, invite God into your life together as a family and then, uh, then we'll talk after the service. So why don't we pray? Say this with me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross defeat the grave and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to live for you from this day on. Lead me, guide me, and speak to me as I follow you, for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Awesome.